Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and I'm awfully glad that uh, I have David Wheaton coming on in just a minute. Looking forward to speaking with him. We're going to continue our series in Exodus, and I think we're getting awfully close to wrapping it up, which I'm bittersweet about. And then Carol McLeod's going to join me. She's written a, a, a book um, called At Home in Your Heart. And then Dr. Marcus Bachman joins me for hour two. So David Wheaton, of course, is the host of The Christian Worldview, which I always recommend you going and listening to. You can listen to it live on weekends or podcast anytime at thechristianworldview.org. But he's been a faithful friend of mine for a long, long time. And now uh, we're getting close to finishing Exodus. David, welcome. Good to be with you today, Bill. What are you thinking? You thinking we're wrapping up today? We might do it. Okay. It depends. Now, we do have some news to break uh, to the audience that if, in fact, we do wrap it up today... Uh, you might take a short break from doing the show for a while. Yeah, just a little bit. We have a couple other projects going on in our end with the Christian worldview and some other things and just need a little bit of time. I get that. Uh, but I, I will say this, doing these two books, Genesis and Exodus, has been an incredible just point of personal growth for me to go through these. I mean, I know we're not doing like a seminary level deep dive on this, but even kind of the overview format we're doing has been just really, really enriching for me. So I want to thank you, Bill, for allowing me to do this. But if I ask a lot of questions, which <laughs> might be considered a stall tactic, you would be obligated to answer those. Yeah. And that could go on for months and months and months and months. I, it could. It could. There might be another week here. So we'll <laughs> see how we do today. All right. Let's jump in. Uh, our title of our series has been How Epic Exodus displays the awesome God, and boy, have we seen an awesome God through this study. Uh, maybe we can just touch on some important points from the last time we were uh, in Exodus 33 and 34. Yeah, this was right after that, just almost like a, the nuclear bomb that went off in Exodus 32 when Moses is up on the mountain for 40 days and he brings back the Ten Commandments, and it's an incredible time up there. He comes back, and what do they find? The people have just totally corrupted themselves, and it's just everything has gone south so quickly. And uh, this is just, uh, just a huge whiplash that took place in, in this account. But Exodus 33 and 34, which we covered last time, was was really about—much of it was about Moses interceding for the people. You know, he comes down, you would think he would just be so angry. God, do what you want with them. You know, judge them all, kill them all. Well, there's a, there's a lot of judgment that goes on, and many do die that, that persist in their sin. But we see Moses— uh, he he says this in, in verse uh, in the last part of uh, Exodus 32. This people has committed the great sin, and they have made a a gold a god of gold for themselves. But now, if you will, Lord, forgive their sin. And then he says this. And if not, please blot me hmm. out from your book which you have written. I mean, it's really incredible to even think about that. But he's saying, judge me instead of them. You know, send me to hell. Wow. Literally, is kind of what he's saying. I mean, think how much he loves his own people. So he was not only the intercessor, but he was also this, he wanted to be the substitute as well. And you mm -hmm. think, well, who, who else was that? Well, Jesus Christ, that's who Jesus Christ was. He, he was an interceder. He interceded for us on behalf of the father. And he was a substitute. He offered himself uh, to pay the penalty we deserve to pay 
for our own sin. But God doesn't accept it with Moses. He accepted it with his own perfect son because he was perfect, but he doesn't accept this proposition from Moses that he could be a substitute. But he does accept the intercession. And that that's what takes place here because God's gonna God says, I'm not gonna go with his people up to the promised land now. I'm not I'm just you, you count me out, basically, is what he's saying. The people are mourning. Moses is persistent in his intercession. He's claiming God's promises to the people, saying, well, you've promised to bring us into the land. We can't make it in there if you don't go. And so God changes his mind, I think, on two occasions in, in this last, what we talked about last time, where he's going before God, just pleading with God to, to forgive the people and to go up with them, and God changes his mind. Now, this wasn't—we well, talked about this that God has there's a difference between God's declarative will and his intentional will mm-hmm. and he in ch- changed what he had intended to do which is consistent with his character and just the last thing I'll say about last time we came across this passage which I think everyone listening needs to sort of underline or mark in your bible it's in Exodus 34 after all this intercession takes place uh, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with there with Moses as he called upon the name of the Lord then verse 6 Then the Lord passed by in front of Moses and proclaimed this, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of of fathers on the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. And this is God describing himself. This is a very important passage because we're understanding who God is. That's really the point of life, is to understand who God is and what he wants for us, how we can be right with him. And so this is, often we make the mistake of emphasizing one or the other side of God. God is this all the God of love. He's, he's unconditional love, totally forgiving no matter what you do. Or the other side is God is a God of judgment. I'm just kind of cowering, waiting for him to, to pounce on me. Mm-hmm. God is both. He's a God of love and compassion and graciousness, but he's also a God who doesn't leave the guilty and punished. So let's keep that in mind as we seek to worship God in a more accurate way. That verse packs a lot, doesn't it, David? Very much. Yeah. I remember uh, thinking that is so profound and what a nugget that is in Exodus, that verse. All right, let's jump ahead to 35 and maybe you would describe um, in 35 God's desire for giving. Yeah, well, it's it's kind of amazing here because we earlier, I don't know, several weeks ago, we went over the fact that God had told Moses how to construct the tabernacle. Now, we're going to get to the giving in a second here, but he told him how to construct it in Exodus chapters 25 through 31. So now what we're hopefully going to get to today is Exodus 35 through 40, six more chapters. So that's 13 chapters of the 40 chapters of Exodus about addresses how the tabernacle is to be constructed and how it was constructed. I mean, it just shows you how important this is to God, how this tabernacle, where he is going to be worshipped by the nation of Israel, how it's going to be constructed. It, again, tells us who God is, how detailed he is, how holy he is, how he is to be worshipped. Not one thing, if, if I'm sure many people have noticed this, there was nothing left to the design of man here. It was complete. It was a one-way instruction list from God to man. Nothing was left. Well, just kind of be creative and you know, build that the way you want. You know, Just use your own man. There was none of that. God establishes exactly how he is to be worshipped. And so as they're, they're getting ready to construct this, this tabernacle, Bill, 
uh, it's going to take a lot of materials. It's going to take gold and silver and bronze and wood and fabric and linen, and all kinds of investments, all different kinds of things. And the only way they're going to be able to get these things is for the people uh, to give them. And so it's just interesting how God's desire for giving is laid out here, because I'll just read a short passage here, and just notice the repetition here in Exodus 35, verse 21. Everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him came and brought the Lord's contribution for the work. Verse 22, then all those whose hearts moved them, both men and women, came and brought brooches and earrings and other things. Verse 26, all the women whose hearts stirred with a skill spun the goats here. Go down to verse 29, all the men and women whose heart moved them to bring material for all the work which the Lord had commanded through Moses to be done, brought a free will offering to the Lord. I mean, you just almost every verse is being repeated uh, over and over again. God desires the giver to have a willing and enthusiastic heart. It's, it's free will giving. And this is in contradistinction to so much of what we see today. The mentality today is it's not coercion. It's not coerced giving. Like taxation is, is coercion. Taxation and redistribution, that's not giving. That's not charitable giving to try to help people, say the government takes his, takes money coercively and redistributes over there. That's not the way God wants it. I mean, there needs to be taxes, but that's not the way we do giving in the Christian faith. It's not obligation bill. It's not grudgingly and unwilling, oh, I have to give this, oh, I don't really want to, but I'm just going to give it just to make myself right with God. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want a transactional giving either, where I give and then God gives back to me. That's like the health, wealth, and prosperity move. The more you sow, the more you're going to give back. So it's not coercive. It's not out of obligation. It's not transactional. It's rather giving is done out of adoration. It's I love God. He has given me everything. I want to give back to him what he has given to me. And literally, that was the attitude they had, because it says later in, the, in Exodus chapter 36 that they had to literally tell the people to stop giving. They had so much coming in because the, the people were giving out of this heart of adoration. That's so amazing. And now that we jumped ahead to 30, chapter 36, who were the chief uh, craftsmen of the tabernacle? Yeah, this is something I don't think we've, we've brought up at all in the whole series. And, and two names that have come up throughout the whole book of Exodus is Bezalel and Oholiab. It's hard to pronounce, but Bezalel and Oholiab. They were the two people that God mentioned over and over again that God had put this skillful spirit in, given them these, these expertise to be able to do this very intricate construction of all the various elements. Now, there were others. They taught others, and there was other skilled persons, but it was those two that were constantly brought up as being the ones who were actually building the things. Now, it's surprising in a way that these two, Bezalel and Oholiab, aren't household names, because as you know, you go to see some famous houses or buildings, it's always, you know who the builder is. Oh, that house was built by such and such a person, because they get a fame or a, a well-knownness by by building something like this. But you peep, these aren't household names, and they really should be, because this tabernacle was, inc it, was, a, it, was it was portable, but it was incredibly detailed and ornate and specific. I mean, the instructions God was giving were incredibly specific, and it was also expensive. There was 2,100, approximately, 2,100 pounds of gold to be you know, cast over certain things, 5,200 pounds of, of bronze, 7,500 pounds of silver. There were 600,000 men at the time uh, in, in this traveling group going to the Promised Land, over 20 years old. So this was a very major operation 
And we don't hear much about these two people, Bezalel and Aholiab, that really did or designed all the different elements of the tabernacle. David, I love in the verse 2 it says that uh, these two guys, along with every skillful person in whom the Lord has put skill and understanding to know how to perform all the work. God equips us. God equips you to do the job he he lays out for, for you to do. Yeah, we, we come into the world with nothing, and we leave with nothing. Everything we have mm. is because of God's goodness and the skills He gives us, and the, the parents He puts in our life, and the, the coaches or whoever else invests in us. You know, we don't we don't have anything on our own. It's all given to us from God. Even if you have you know good high hand coordination, God gave you that. Yeah. If you have a sharp brain, God gave you that. You didn't do that. So I think that's the case. Maybe that's why Bezalel and Oholiab aren't you know, known as well, because there's really God who put the skill within them. Mm-hmm. David Wheaton is my guest. We're going to continue after the break our study of Exodus. We're just wrapping it up. You can go to the ChristianWorldview.org to learn more about David, of course, and we'll be right back. study in Exodus. We're kind of wrapping things up here. And when you were talking about the construction of the, of the tabernacle, David, it's just amazing what went into it. What, what were the elements of the tabernacle? Yeah, it, it was, there was, as we've talked about, this been very specific as to how the, to build yeah. the certain elements the, of it. The gold, it, the, the right. bronze. Yeah. Yeah. And, and all of them had a specific purpose, whether it's the ark the altar, the mm-hmm. table, the, the bread, everything was very, very rich in meaning. In meaning. But at the same right, same point, for being such a, an amazing tabernacle or dwelling or a place of worship, it's actually very simple. There, there are not that many elements to it, and they're summarized in Exodus chapter 39 after they've constructed it. And by the way, they haven't put it together yet. They've just constructed all the elements. They haven't sort of raised the, the tents, so to speak, yet. They've just made all the elements. And it lists them out, you know, everything from, you know, the tent that would cover the most holy place and the, the holy place. Uh, it, would, it would cover the, the veil between the, the holy of holies and the most holy place, the ark of the testimony, the mercy seat that went on top, the table where the bread of the presence was, the golden lampstand, the gold altar where the anointing oil was, the bronze altar where they do the sacrifices, the hangings of the court on the outside, and then, of course, the garments for the priests. That was just a quick little summary. Again, for, for this so 13 chapters again, there really isn't that much a part of it. If you go to a typical house today, we have beds and dressers and all different, you know, different microwaves and you name it. This tabernacle was, was, was very profound and specific the way it was to be constructed by God, but it was also very simple. And every element had its own special purpose that somehow pointed to, to God and his glory, how he is to be approached. And as we, I mentioned earlier, Nothing was done uh, on the invention or design of man. It was completely designed with instructions from God. And it's really, that's a good lesson for us. Why this is so relevant is that we need to look to Scripture to see, not use our own human reasoning about how to live, but go completely on what God's wisdom is that we find in His Word. Yeah, David, everything, of course, was very intentional and purposeful. So maybe you could talk about the significance of the, the, the uh, erecting the tabernacle. 
Yeah, that that's this is the last chapter, so I think we we may get finished today, Bill. We might, but I uh, maybe. I, I stall tactics. Don't can... trust me. <laughs> so here we are in the last chapter of Exodus, Exodus 40. You know, they've they've gone through the design and the construction of the elements. Now it has to be put together and actually put up, erected. And it was erected just one year after they had left Egypt. So that's how much we've covered in all our series in Exodus, just really the first year since they left Egypt. And they were still right there at Mount Sinai. And they had built all the various elements we've talked about, but it hadn't been put together. Well, who's going to put it together? The same builders? No, that's not who was going to put it together. That's not who God wanted to put it together. Who would actually put the, the items and the clasp and the hangings and everything together would be and put the elements in place was Moses. Moses, Aaron, and his sons were the ones, and they were, this was the priestly tribe who was going to put these the tabernacle t together. And it's interesting how they start. They start with the most, like the inner sanctum, the most holy part of it is do they erect the tent where, where the Ark of the Covenant is going to be, and then they're going to put the Ark of the Covenant inside there. And it's interesting because you, know, you couldn't, no one could go near that area except the high priest once a year. You think, well, how did they actually get—wasn't the ark like untouchable at this point? You couldn't get near it? Well, the difference is, is that the ark, nothing had been consecrated yet. Nothing had been anointed yet. And so God's presence wasn't above the ark as it would be when it had actually been anointed and everything was done. So his presence wasn't there yet. So they just carried it in there, Moses, Aaron, other sons, and so forth. But once this took place, once there was an anointing, and once this was consecrated to the Lord, no one could go near it. And there's one other interesting thing, I think, that I, I read in a Bible commentary about this, that the whole orientation of the tabernacle was really so that the priest's back would be—the the son would be to the priest's back when he would go and, and offer sacrifice and go into the Holy of Holies. And you think, well, what's, what's the deal about that? Well, this commentary said that it may have been a polemic or sort of a, sort of a, a finger in the eye, so to speak— of all the false religions at the time who worshiped what? The sun, with their faces to the sun, Israel is going to be much different. God was saying, no, no, the sun is not who you worship. I'm the God who made the sun. The sun can be on your back. You worship me away from the sun. Yeah. So as we kind of conclude here, our study of Exodus, how um, how, how does the conclusion fit our, our series title? How Epic Exodus Displays the Awesome God. Well, when we came up with that title right at the beginning of the book, I think that title—and I hadn't read ahead to Exodus chapter 40, the last chapter at all, So, it, but it's just amazing how that really a title does really describe what is going on in, in Exodus. It is epic. That word is often over—everything's epic now today, but this truly is epic. You know, a couple million people coming out of— Egypt the way they did, and the, the ten plagues, and the Passover, and crossing the Red Sea, the supernatural things that take place, going up on Mount Sinai, the giving of the law, the, the building of the, the tabernacle. These are, these are truly epic elements and situations going on here, and they do display this awesome God. So I just want to read this last couple verses of Exodus, because it really, really summarizes. It said in Exodus chapter 40, verse 33, thus Moses finished the work. Okay, there's the tabernacles done. It says in verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able, here, here, here's where things have changed, Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And just the last couple of verses throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, 
This was the presence of God. Then they did not set out until the day when it was taken up. For throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and there was fire in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel. Wow. And that's how Exodus concludes. And just imagine that scene. I mean, the, the, talking about the elements are interesting and how expensive they are and so forth. But when God fills the tabernacle, this is where you get the awesome God. His glory mm -hmm. outshines everything else. It's like a glimpse of heaven where God's glory fills the new heaven and the new earth. And Moses now is not able to enter the tent of meeting anymore. Uh, this this tent, because the cloud has settled on it, and you just can't be in that kind of glory and, and live. And so this really shows how, how God's presence was with the Israelites, that he was going to guide them with by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. I mean, they're seeing a supernatural acts of God on, on a daily basis. And God's presence is going to be the determining factor of when and where they went. And just to conclude, Bill, this God, as we talked about in Exodus 34, 6, and 7, this gracious and compassionate, slow to anger God, but doesn't leave the guilty and punished, this God is a knowable, a personal God who is offering us today, anyone listening today, he's offering this same God of Exodus, this awesome God is offering you, me, a forgiveness. He's offering us reconciliation. He's offering us to make us holy through the imputed righteousness of Christ. He's offering us eternal life through his Son. And so when you're getting offered all that, you just have to say, just bow the knee to this great and epic God mm. who, through the story of Exodus, is offering us to be in relationship with him. Oh, that's spectacular. What a study. David, thank you so much for the study. And I, I, I do give you permission to take a break for a while, but just so you know, I have strategies for getting you back. <laughs> I, I, I can, would love to. I'll go. call your mom and make her <laughs> put you back on. So trust you, me. You, you, you know, you know, you know the, you know the plan. That, I got a plan. Work. Trust me. <laughs> but we'd love to. Uh, Rosie just would love to uh, pray a, a, a prayer of blessing over you and the work you've done and the contribution you've made and just a blessing on your family. Thank you. So, Lord Jesus, we just thank you for David. We thank you for the gifts you've given him that he has shared so generously with us at Faith Radio, Lord, and across the network. Thank you, Lord, for your promises that are true. And Proverbs 11.25 says, A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And, and Lord, we thank you for that. And we, and we stand on that ground for David, Lord. Uh, we pray for the work of his hands, um, that you've given him everything that he, that he needs, and the work of his hands will abound much, Lord. Give him direction and clarity as he moves forward. Bless his family with um, your holy protection of the, your shed blood, Lord, and let them be refreshed this summer as we look forward to him um, coming back to us in fall with all that he has learned. Lord, uh, let everything he does bring you glory, God. For this we pray in your almighty name. Mm. All right. Amen. All right, David, now I'm, now I'm starting my stall tactics. So <laughs> when you won the Minnesota State High School Tennis Tournament in 1984, how old were you? I was, uh, I think I was, in, I was in ninth grade, so I think I was 14 <laughs> or 15. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't happen way very back. often. Yeah, it doesn't happen. That a person that young wins the title. And yeah. how, how uh, easily did you win? Oh, boy. You have to ask my brother, Mark. He remembers all my scores I know better than I do. Yeah. It, it a, was straight sets, though. He's a human statistician. Well, yes. I, I don't feel like I, I got the answer, so we'll have to pick it up next week, all right? We would, would love to. <laughs> love to come back, Bill. It's, like right. I said before, it's been a joy. Thanks, David. Great to be All with right, you. We'll take you. a short break and be right back.
Sometimes when you think of your childhood home, that has some really warm memories, and you think of that as as the place where you had this family formation and you had some of your best learning experiences and holidays and everything else growing up with your family. So sometimes you think of your childhood home as something really, really special. If you didn't have a great childhood, maybe not so much, but when it comes to your real home, this side of heaven... Uh, Carol McLeod says, it's your heart, and she's written a book about it called At Home in Your Heart, Inviting Christ into Every Room. She's the president and CEO of Carol McLeod Ministries and a popular speaker at women's conferences and retreats. Carol, welcome. Thanks, Bill. It's always good to be with you. Thank you. And I love the the fact that you talk about our heart is our real home, and I would love for you to say a little bit more about that. Yeah, so, you know, we all have this idea in our heads what a home is like. And and we want our homes to be a place to relax, a place where you can dream and pray and love and, and share your emotions with others and just create a haven. Well, that's our heart, Bill. It's in our hearts that all of these foundational issues of our lives take place. It, it's in our hearts that most of our living takes place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have dirty laundry in our hearts, right? <laughs> Unfortunately. Um, yeah, we decorate our hearts daily with attitudes, habits, emotions, and really how we welcome others into our lives. It happens in our hearts. So that's what I mean by our heart is our real home, mm-hmm. this side of heaven. Yeah. yeah. The command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, and, and uh, love your neighbors as yourself. When I think of that word heart in that verse, and I think I think it's the Greek word kardia, which means love God with the decisions you make. Mm. Oh, I love that, Bill. That's powerful. Yeah. Yeah, because I think our decisions reflect our depth of love I, for Christ. I agree. You know, Jesus said, if you love me, You'll keep my commandments. Yes. So you and I both know that um, good works aren't going to get us into heaven. Good right. works aren't going to get us saved. You know, that's grace. That's the blood of Jesus. However, once we become a Christian, we honor Christ, and we, we exhibit our love for him by the decisions we make, mm-hmm. by the words we speak. Yeah. yeah. Now, Carol, you do powerful ministry to women. I know this, this book is a kind of a, a devotional. Is it for mm-hmm. seasoned believers, or is it for uh, women who have maybe just set out on their Christian walk? Well, Bill, I tried to write it in such a manner that it would be a blessing to both camps of women. Um, I've tried to fill it with hope, joy, with an invitation to know Christ better, with practical applications with with rich teachings. So I hope that whether you've only known Jesus for a week or two, or you've lived with him your whole life, that this book will enrich your daily devotional time. Mm -hmm. And Carol, I'd love for you to say more just about the idea of a daily devotional. Sometimes people say, well, just how about just read the word? That's that's sufficient. But what what would you say about the value of adding a devotional to your quiet time? Well, a devotional is never meant to replace the Bible. The Bible always comes first. But a a good devotional, a well-written devotional, can bring Scripture to life, and it can give us food for thought for every day. Bill, one of my favorite Scriptures is Proverbs 13.20, and it says, 
he who walks with wise men will be wise. Well, you and I are never going to get the chance to walk with Billy Graham or Mother Teresa or some other Elizabeth Elliot, mm-hmm. other heroes or heroines of the faith. But one way I can do it is by reading what they've written. And their devotionals over the years have so bolstered my Christian walk. I think about, you know, streams in the desert or my utmost for his highest. And and more recently, the devotional writings of Tim, Timothy Keller, C.S. Lewis, Max Lucado mm-hmm. have been life-changing for me. They've stirred my soul to live more fully for Christ. So yes, you're right, Bill. Reading the word is sufficient. It's more than enough. Mm-hmm. But a devotional that glorifies God, oh, now that's going to go deeply into your heart as yeah. well. Yeah. Carol, when when do you um, when have you felt most loved by God? Oh, Bill, that's a great question. Yeah, it's kind you of know, a big I, one for sure. Yeah. You know, Bill, I have to say, um, of course, there have been moments in my life when I have experienced his presence in a deep, rich way. When I was a little girl praying at the altar of my church on a Sunday night, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think giving birth to my five babies, such a miracle. I felt God's presence. But Bill, I experience God's love daily when I open the word of God. You know, I, I'm just gobsmacked that God, the creator of the universe, would want to write a love letter mm-hmm. to little old me. Mm -hmm. And so when I sit down, open the Bible, I feel wrapped in his love for me. It's just a normal, ordinary day thing. But Bill, I I tell you, I feel his love when I read the Bible. Now, let me just address that for a minute, because so many people are going to say, yeah, right, Carol, well, you've studied it. You, You know, Greek and Hebrew, no one. No, no, let me tell you this. We do not primarily read the Bible for information, but we read it for transformation. So you might not always understand with your human mind what you're reading, but read the Bible anyway, because God will meet you there. He will refine you. He will restore you. He will encourage you. Read the Bible. I'm with you. So, Carol, maybe some are listening thinking, I'm, I don't know if I'm, I'm worthy of God's love. But mm. There's issues in my life that make me feel like mm, I'm a little bit damaged goods or I'm not measuring up. So I don't know if I feel, uh, I don't know if I'm convinced that I'm, I'm worthy. What would you say to that person? Yeah, this is what I would say. So when my kids were little, Bill, I would tell them, hey, you know what? There's nothing you can do to earn my love Mm -hmm. because I just love you because I'm your mom. And let me say something else, kiddos. There's nothing you could ever do to make me love you anymore. And there's nothing you could ever do to make me love you any less. I'd say to him, like, you could go rob a bank. You better not, but you could, and I wouldn't love you any less. Mm -hmm. Because my love for them was not based on performance. And so for those people who are listening today who are saying, Carol, I'm just so unlovable. You don't know what I've done. Listen, I just want to encourage you and say, don't don't minimize God's love like that. His love is not based on your performance. No matter what you've done or haven't done, he loves you still. The Bible says, Bill, that while we were yet sinners, Christ came. So he he he's his love for you isn't based on bankruptcies, divorce, divorces, abortions, 
a prison record. No, no, no. He loves you fully and completely. He wants to restore you. He wants you to get to know him. But listen, just snuggle in his love. Bill, um, we just have gone through Easter, as you know, and I was thinking about doubting Thomas in the Easter story, right? So so he doubted. He he didn't know if this was really Jesus. Jesus, is that really you? Like, did you really raise from the dead? And you know what, Bill? Jesus didn't say to him, you sorry sinner. He just didn't say to him, how can you even say that to me? No, Jesus said to doubting Thomas, come, come experience me, get to know me, touch me. And for all those people who are listening today who's not sure about God's love, that's the invitation. Jesus is saying to you, come on, hang out with me, stay in my presence, read my word. I love you just mm. the way you are, doubts and all. Mm. That's uh, beautiful. Carol, I can tell you really love the Father. So I've got a personal question, if you don't mind. No, go ahead. Yeah, what was your relationship like with your earthly father? So, Bill, that, that is a great question because I know a lot of people struggle with that. So I'll probably cry. I'll probably weep. But my dad loved the Lord. He was a farmer. Um, he read the word every morning as a little girl, Bill, I would creep down the stairs at 5.30 or 6 in the morning, and he would hand me three by five cards with scripture verses written on them for me wow. to read beside him. He would pray with me. I think one reason um, I don't struggle in, in my relationship with God, the father, is because I had such a loving father. Um, he, my dad did discipline us, but it was always done in love. Mm -hmm. um, it was always balanced. Um, my father's words were, were kind. And, and my dad demonstrated mercy to us time after time. So I know everybody doesn't have that. My dad was a general of, of the faith. Um, but listen, you can still have a wonderful relationship with God, the Father, even though your relationship with your dad on earth wasn't that great. Bill, one of my dearest friends, her dad committed suicide when she was a young girl. And so she always struggled with her relationship with God the Father, oh, um, sure. Heavenly Father. She just didn't get it. She didn't get how people could be so loved by him and love him back so much until somebody said to her, it's all about the adjective. It's about the word Heavenly Father, that your Heavenly Father cannot be compared to your earthly father. Mm -hmm. you, you've got to know your Heavenly Father and take him at his word. So I think one of the most important things we can do in our Christian walk is get to know the character of God. Mm -hmm. Carol, just yeah. as I listen to you talk, I, I hear a, a woman who's got a, a heart full, and, mm. and God feels like home to you. W mm -hmm. What about if, you, if people listening, I go, well, I might have a crack in the foundation of my heart. How, do, how can I overcome some of the hardships in my life? Yeah. You know, God created us. He, he's, it just makes sense that um, our master builder knows our heart intimately and that we should get to know him. You know, our master builder, our creator, he's the one who's able to repair, redecorate, redesign, remodel, restore, and to fill our hearts 
with love and hope and joy. If, if we get a crack in the foundation of our heart, Bill, it's because we've tried to fill our hearts with nonsensical things. And we foolishly believe that entertainment or sports or travel, um, shopping, earning big bucks, um, living in our dream house it is going to be fulfilling to us. No, no. It's Christ and Christ alone that can bring true meaning to our hearts and fill our hearts with a song. Um, In in my book, um, At Home in Your Heart, I have this quote by C.S. Lewis that I just love this quote, Bill. Listen to this. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he's building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. So it's time for all of, and that's from Mere Christianity, his his classic novel, classic book. We all have to clean out our hearts and make room for him because he will make our hearts into a place of glory, into a place of joy and hope. Mm -hmm. Carol McLeod is my guest. She's written a book uh, called At Home in Your Heart. It's a devotional. It's lovely. She has four copies that she's made available for us to give out to listeners. So if you want to get in on this drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Just the word book, four letters, B-O-O-K, nothing else. And uh, you'll be in the drawing for one of the books. We'll take a short break and be right back with Carol in a minute. the show. Carol McLeod is my guest. At Home in Your Heart, the devotional book she's written, inviting Christ into every room. And I've got four copies, so jump in on the drawing and you may win one. 877-933-2484. Text the word book to that number, 877-933-2484. Over the break, Rosie and I were chatting. She said she's got a scripture verse to go along with what we were just talking about, Carol. So, Rosie, join in. So, Carol... Thank you. I loved what you had to say, because I think if we were all to be honest, the condition of our heart is messy most of the time. So, mm-hmm. um, but in order not to get, go into self-loathing and, and to really be able to identify with who we are as God sees us as heirs of the throne and, and in the newness of our salvation with him, uh, Psalm 51, it, it's so clear. It says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Mm-hmm. And renew a steadfast spirit to me. It's just so perfect that it's his that his intention, and he'll do it for us um, as we surrender. And then it goes on to say, "And as you teach me, then I will turn and um, teach transgressors your ways." So mm-hmm. it's such a beautiful prayer about the condition of your heart, but most importantly about God's heart. You know, so Rosie, you didn't know this, but that's one of my favorite life scriptures. Um, it's because it says to restore to me the joy 
of my salvation. Right. You know, right. And so, and, and then it says, and then I will teach sinners your ways. Then transgressors will be converted to you. So th- that's an if then clause, really. Right. So when, when our heart is cleaned out, when we allow the Lord to come in and freshen things up and take out old habits and, and, and things that shouldn't be in our hearts, our joy is restored, and then we can have a ministry. Then we're going to have an impact on the world around us. Like, who wouldn't want that, right? Oh, I want that. It's the prayer I pray before I get out of bed every day. Created Mm. me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit to me. It's just, I I don't know how else to start the day, except I love that. that. Yeah. Yeah. So good, Rosie. I think I'm going to turn it off now because, Biller, do you want your show back? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I feel like I've lost my show right now. I know. It's back. But it's it's just got better, really. When you took over, it just got better. So, no, I'm all for that. Uh, Carol, when you think of your time studying God's Word, what, you know, what what person do you really most admire from biblical history? Um, so I have to tell you, I have an Old Testament and a New Testament person. Okay. So, Bill, I can't give you just one, but Old Testament, it is Joseph of the Old Testament oh, yeah. without a Love doubt. It. Yep. Yes, yes. As a matter of fact, Bill, I hope I get to be on your show this summer again because I've got another book coming out. It's a Bible study on the life of Joseph cool. of the Old Testament, and it's called Meanwhile, because his meanwhile was really long, <laughs> and it was really painful, and that's the story of all our lives. But God is working behind the scenes in the meanwhile, Genesis fifty twenty, to take what the enemy meant for evil and use it for good. That's the promise of Joseph's life. And then, Bill, my New Testament favorite person, other than Jesus and the Holy Spirit, of course, is Peter. And I love Peter because I am Peter, because <laughs> he was impetuous. He talked a lot. He was opinionated. <laughs> but honey, after he saw the risen Christ and after Pentecost, this man changed from winning arguments to winning souls. Mm. So I want to be Peter. Yeah, so yeah. good. Uh, you know, Carol, we all have so many distractions nowadays, more than ever. So when we think of what competes for our attention throughout the day, especially in the mornings, when you feel like you got to get your day started, I can't do anything until my quiet time is is uh, completed. So what, maybe you would talk about how what Christians can do to you know stop the distractions and how important it is to make time for God every day. Yeah, so, you know, Elizabeth Elliot is one of my heroines of the faith. And I love this quote that she said, you always have time for God's will. Isn't that good? Yes, it you is. You always have time for God's will. And so, you know, Bill, I wish that I had this incredible answer for you that we could make millions of Me dollars too. on. I know, training Christians to, to put first things first. But But honestly, being a Christian is not rocket science. Like if I can do it, anybody can. So this is what you have to use. It's, it's called resolve. It's called determination. Mm-hmm. It's called decide that, that we decide in the morning, okay, I'll let you brush your teeth and fix a cup of coffee first, okay? But after that, the priority is time with Jesus. You know, you can listen to the Word on your smartphone. You can sit and open your Bible and absorb it, read a great devotional, put on worship music, 
we have time for the things that we think are important. Playing games on our phone, social media, binging on Netflix, going to the gym, whatever it is. You find time for the things that you value. And above all, it should be Christ. You know, in my office at home, I work from home, but I have a sign over my desk that says, focus on eternity, not on the temporary. Like that. So, yeah, when you've got a decision to make, you can say, okay, is this eternal or is this temporary? I'll take eternal. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. And Carol, I know you to be a, a, a woman of prayer. Because mm-hmm. you could spend very little time in your devotional and realize, ooh, Carol's a woman of prayer. Talk about how important it is. And maybe how do you develop a prayer strategy that works for your life? Yeah. So, Bill, this book, At Home in Your Heart, it's divided into, like, um, areas of a home, like the foundation, like you alluded to, um, the dining room. Well, open the windows is the section on prayer. Because when we pray, it opens our lives to the grand expanse of God. One of my sayings is, history belongs to those who pray. And that's the truth. So knowing that, why don't we pray more? Why don't we pray more when we know that we change history on our knees? Like you don't need to be elected to Congress. Well, if God asked you to do that, do that. You don't have to walk the halls of the Supreme Court. Get on your knees and pray and you will impact history. I believe that hell shakes in fear and heaven applauds enthusiastically when a common man or an ordinary woman chooses to spend time in prayer. So I think a lot of people, Bill, get discouraged because they think their prayers aren't getting answered. And could I just call a spade a spade and tell you that's the enemy trying to discourage you. The enemy will do anything he can to discourage you in prayer and to get you to stop praying. Mm -hmm. Don't do it. Pray on. Pray in the storm. Uh, Pray in the shadows. Pray on, my friends. You know, when I teach on prayer, one of the things I say is, listen, you don't have to be good at prayer to get the job done. You just have to mean it. (laughs) So, Cry out to God. Use language that's common to you. The the Bible says in Psalms, I'm so glad Rosie brought up the Psalms, but the Bible says that God inclines his ear when we pray. That means, Bill, God is leaning over the gates of heaven listening for us to pray. Mm -hmm. So just set aside five, ten minutes a day, and pretty soon you'll determine that's not enough. I think I'll I'll take 15 or 20 now. Um, but spend time in prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So eternity. We, yeah. Carol, when we invite Christ into every room of our house and we're at home in, in our heart with the Lord, let's make sure that we take this warm, friendly heart and lead others to Christ. Say more about that. Yeah. So that's the dining room. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, Bill, we have not been saved just to go to heaven. If we were saved just to go to heaven, we would have accepted Jesus and gone. Right. But we've been saved to tell others about Jesus. That's why we're still here. I always say that I am alive to make hell smaller and heaven bigger. Mm -hmm. That's the dining room of my heart where I invite other people in. Um, Smile at strangers. Have a neighbor over for coffee. Slip a single mom a $20 bill. Say an encouraging word in the grocery store. But just
just be the kind of Christian, I, I call it being a contagious Christian, that people want what you have. Um, I know you've heard the saying, Bill, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And it's in the dining room of your heart where you prove that you care about people, that you invite them in and you serve them a feast. Mm, so good. Thank you, Carol, for being on the show today. It's really been nice to hear your heart on this. And Christ is at home in your heart for sure. And uh, her devotional, she's got four copies to give out to listeners. So if you want to get in on the drawing, please text the word book to 877-933-2484. Carol, thank you so much uh, for being uh, with me today. Oh, Bill, I loved it. It's always a delight, and I hope to talk to you soon. We'll do it in the summertime when the Joseph book comes out. Okay, perfect. I look forward to it. All right, thank you so much. Carol McLeod has been my guest, and again, her book is called At Home in Your Heart. We have four copies, so text the word book if you want to get in on the drawing, 877-933-2484. And coming up next, Dr. Marcus Bachman is going to be joining me, and we're going to be talking about the, the benefits of seeing a counselor, and some of the things that you need to look out for. That's going to be interesting. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.